I usually like to tell a story to start this podcast, but today I'm feeling oddly serious. I just want to use this moment to acknowledge the brave women and men of the DC press corps who have spent the past four years being described by the president of the United States as enemies of the state. Last week, those words, well, something snapped and the people charged with covering government and keeping politicians accountable needed to hide inside the US Capitol, fearing for their lives. It was a disgraceful culmination for a disgraceful president. My name is Jeff Perlman. I'm the New York Times bestselling author of nine books and the host of Two Writers Sling and Yang, a podcast where one writer, me, talks writing with another writer every single week. Today's episode stars Matt Laszlo, the longtime political reporter, managing editor of the news station, and the man who is inside the United States Capitol, fearing for his life while also doing what journalists do during last week's Donald Trump-inspired assault on democracy. This is episode number 190. Let's sling some yang. Dad, the quarantine sucks, and so does Hi, well, Matt. Thank you for doing this. I appreciate it. Thanks for having me. So I actually followed a lot of what was going on in the Capitol via your Twitter feed. In fact, my wife at first sent me one of your tweets, and it was one of your videos and of, of people kind of storming into the Capitol. And that, that was actually my first holy shit moment. Me too, brother. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And I, I wonder, I mean, you, you've covered politics for a good amount of time now, are you shaken by this all? Or are you sort of recovered and calm from this all? Or are you, where are you? Well, I'm drinking a big vodka tonic right now. Um, I'm actually, yeah, I'm shaken to my core. Um, talking to a PTSD counselor tomorrow. But yeah, I'm going to talk to her for a good hour because I'm going to get some of that advice myself. Um, yeah, I've been a political reporter and have called the Capitol my office for 15 years now. And I've always had like this bad joke, like, hey, mom, don't worry. If the Capitol gets hit with a bomb, I won't feel a thing because I'll be taken out instantly. Um, but then if we get attacked by anyone else, like, it's fine. Like, there's a militia underground because the Capitol Police, like, I've seen them come out of nowhere. And like, with, with numbers that could literally take over nature. <laughs> like that's the force that I've seen at the Capitol that was not there on Wednesday <clears throat> and it's utterly unsettling. Like I'll forever have this on my desk. It's a doorstop that I grabbed as a potential shank. And like, I don't like violence, but those thugs wrote murder the media on the door into the Capitol rotunda. I'm the media. Um, that was not a fun spot to be in. And then especially like, yeah, just going to spots. Cause we were up on the fourth floor. We heard that they were deploying. Um, so I was in the radio TV gallery with CNN, Fox, MSNBC, NPR, all those folks. C-SPAN, God bless you C-SPAN. So that's where we all are. Um, tucked in like a fourth floor attic, windowless. Uh, Cause we're the media we live in the dark, I guess. Um, but once we heard gas or uh, tear gas was deployed in the rotunda, we were like, oh, we should get gas masks. And because we're the media, there's no gas mask there. So we had to go down to the third floor. I went with a female reporter and I ducked my head out into the hall overlooking. Um, so it's on the third floor of the Capitol. So there's a balcony above um, the Senate floor. 
And so this is where all the tourists come in who get to sit on that balcony for 10 or 20 minutes. There's always officers there. And earlier that day, there were officers there. But there's also always these ununiformed officers on the hill. So I peek my head out and I'm like, wow, those officers are wearing really good disguises today. You know, MAGA from head to toe, uh, flags with, uh, you know, either MAGA or uh, don't tread on me. And I was like, those officers are doing really good undercover work. And then I'm like, oh, shit, those aren't officers. <laughs> so then like we couldn't even get gas masks. I just tapped her and I was like, shh. And we had to duck back up to the fourth floor attic. So that's like part of why it's so unsettling, like spots where I always know an officer is to help us, to help anyone. They weren't there uh, and they had abandoned that post to save other posts, like literally leaving us up in the radio TV gallery um, to fend for ourselves. Luckily, no one came up to that attic, but yeah, it was fucking terrifying. Pardon my French. So you... Um you were prepared. I mean, you, you held up, it's, it's not a bit, you held up a wood doorstop that you grabbed at some point. Was did you consider it a very, very real possibility that you guys would be, you know, pummeled by the MAGA crowd? Like, was it, was that a, did it feel like a real legit looming threat? No, for other reporters, it didn't so much. We did have one reporter who had a panic attack. Um, and we all came around them. Um, him i think i've said on social media it's a dude i won't say the outlet but um it was scary other reporters were a little more calm like for me i was at uh each year i cover the cpac conference the conservative political action committee it's always held here in washington uh a couple of years ago i had a run-in with the proud boys um one of them randomly like ate my business card, uh, literally chewed it up, then talked to them for a while, asked me for another one. So it became this like viral tweet. So like all these proud boys across the nation followed me, you know, and with Trump in the office, um, with Trump as president, you know, as a reporter, I need to know who his people are. So like I've courted Roger Stone, who I'm supposed to smoke a joint with and have martinis with on camera for Vice News Tonight. So like, Proud Boys love Roger Stone. So like, they're in my circle, social media wise, because I need them um, as sources. But like a year or so after all these Proud Boys had followed me, then I said something and they're like, oh, we always knew you were a liberal hack, blah, blah, blah. And so then I start getting death threats from them. So there's that picture going around with the one guy with a cigarette in his mouth. That's a guy who's either giving me death threats or is friends with the guys who gave me death threats. So for me, it was like, if I show my face, yeah, they've already told me these things and maybe it was just online hate um, that they like typed in the moment and didn't mean it. I wasn't gonna test that theory at all. So I went around to all the desks because there's a little window uh, peering into our gallery up in like the fourth floor attic. We locked the door, which is never locked. It's always open. Um, that's probably where I got that uh, doorstop from. But ABC, uh, I ripped one of their stickers off of theirs. There's a big wooden sign that says Radio Television Correspondence Gallery. 
I took some anchors, nice, like silkyish uh, red sport coat, wrapped um, the sign in that. Uh, oh, all these images are in an op-ed I did for the news station or look at my Twitter feed, just at Matt Laszlo. Yeah, so I wrapped that sign. Um, so your concern is they do not, you do not want them to know you guys are the media. The, the president of the United States for like five years now has called us the enemy. So I know he doesn't believe it, because he coddles up to a lot of reporters and he reads us, but his rhetoric was useful. And we're now dubbed the enemy of the people. The people there at the Capitol, I would say, are not representative at all of conservatives. I come from a long family of conservatives, like the 70, like the record breaking numbers that voted for President Trump. Those are conservatives. We saw the outliers of the outliers there but that was a big that was thousands and tens of thousands QAnon Proud Boys uh, the three percenter militia whatever um, oh yeah and they fully believed we're the enemy which is why they put murder the media on the door leading into the rotunda like yeah like literally everyone take your blinders off some people believe the rhetoric um, I'd, I'd still say not the bulk of the party, but that's why like call out your own on that rhetoric before it boils over. Cause when it boils over like that, everyone got burned. Republicans, Democrats, independents, the whole nation right. got burned. How do you, um, you've got, you, you definitely experienced something I've never gone through. Um, and Good. Don't. Yeah. yeah. I'm not looking at, not, not planning on it. Not and, recommended it. I was thinking um, it's interesting to be in a situation where you're terrified and potentially targeted and you're simultaneously covering it as it's going on. And I wonder, as this is all happening and everything is swirling around you, how do you be terrified and reporter at the same time? It's like, well, I was going to say like drinking water. It's like drinking vodka tonic. Um, Just comes natural to the press corps. I'd been in what the Freddie Gray riot in uh, Baltimore. Like the first night of it, I was covering it for NPR national on a weekend. And it was the most unsettling I had been in until uh, this incident. I had uh, recorded uh, a West Baltimore uh, black dude pummeling uh, a white boy who called him the N word. Uh, I'd say it's a little bit justified because don't call black people the N-word, which we actually had at the Capitol. One officer says he was called the N-word like 15 times that day, uh, which is utterly unsettling. But after I recorded that, the guy just popped up after hitting him one last time and like kind of instantly grabbed my phone out of my hand. And the whole rest of that riot, as they pounded through like 13... Uh, a row of 13 squad cars. I was seeing officers near me, but the officers were all huddled together and I could tell that there was nothing they could do. I could see the guy the whole time who had my phone. And I was like, wait, there's nothing they can do because he's got all of his boys around him. And it was just like, wow, I'm in the middle of this mob and there's nothing officers or anyone can do. That was amplified times a million at the Capitol. It was just insane. And so instincts just kick in. Uh, There's another video of me like running through um, 
the first floor of the Capitol as officers, probably 50 or so on one side, fighting out the window, spraying uh, tear gas. And you'll see like my press pass is out, uh, hanging down here. I have a full Nalgene bottle because that was a billy club if I needed it. Um, and like at some of the time, the video goes completely black. Um, but at other times it was just like, all right, I'm gonna run like this and just recording. And then once you get to safety, you're like, what did I get? Cause I don't even know what I saw, <laughs> you know, it's, I don't know. It's second instinct, but it's really sad, you know, but with all the shootings that we've seen in America, it's sad that many reporters and with the unrest this summer, with all those protests, it's sad that to be a contemporary American journalist, you have to be ready for um, those situations, which why am I a journalist? Like, yeah, you should be an entertainment reporter. Why didn't I stick with that? I should have been a sports reporter like you, bro. Hey, what can I tell you? Uh, <laughs> you seem old school. Like, are you, as this is all going on, do you have a notepad out? Are you literally writing stuff down as oh, yeah. it's happening? Oh, yeah. I just retired it today. So this. You're holding up a notepad. Time. So there it is. Capital Riot. So my new one is post-Capital Riot. Because every time I'm in a big melee or something like that, something historic, like after impeachment, after something, I retire that notebook, even if it's not full. And it was funny because I'm writing stuff down. I can't even read my writing in it. It was kind of shows how freaked out I was in the moment. Or, you know, the heavy Nalgene bottles pulling the finger down as we're going through tear gas without gas masks on because we never got the gas masks. Um, but like I'm a feature writer for Playboy, Wired, Rolling Stone, Daily Beast, Vice, etc. Anyway, I do features, so I'm always looking for those details. Um, because everyone, I would almost argue this, you know, I teach media and teach journalism writing, like we use too many adjectives. Um, you know, that's me as the reporter describing it. I think the details stand out like blood smeared on Zachary Taylor, a statue of former president Zachary Taylor's face, uh, a photo that Frank Thorpe of NBC um, took. That detail says more than I can ever say um, when they scrawled murder the media on the door. I don't need to say much else. Um, that kind of says it all to me. Um, so yeah, I'm always looking for those details. Um, and that's actually how I kind of knew this was coming because once they went into the Senate chamber, you have the secret service detail from Mike Pence and the head of the detail, who's the shorter uh, female who could kick my ass from here to Tallahassee if she wanted. Um, but she had this look of nervousness on her face and it's the secret service. They don't get nervous. So she huddled with like four or five Secret Service members. The other four or five part of that contingent was all looking out of the windows onto the West Front Lawn where the inauguration of duly elected, uh, soon to be President Biden uh, will be inaugurated. Um, And as a reporter, I just cheat. And I'm like, all right, if officers are looking that way, I'm gonna use the cheat sheet and I'm gonna (laughs) look where the officers are looking. (laughs) 
Right. So that's where I started seeing, I counted six officers who were keeled over from the tear gas that we couldn't see because there's a barrier up. There was a big battle happening underneath there. But seeing all those secret service members freak out, I was like, all right, in my 15 years in this building, I've never seen this. I've seen some hairy stuff, um, but never nervous secret service or Capitol police. Yeah. I guess instincts kick in, which is so sad. Like it's America guy. We shouldn't have these fucking instincts. Now what my journalism students should be trained for, but I have to train them for it. Um, it's just sad. It's really sad. Yeah. That morning Trump is holding his rally and I guess there were two ways potentially at the time to look at the rally. You could say, well, it's his rally and it's his last gasp. And this is his last gasp. It's a rally and people will cheer and blah, blah, blah. And then they'll go to Applebee's or whatever, you know, or it could be, oh, fuck this. These people are going to take this literally. And when that was going on, did you have some inkling, any inkling at all that they would come down to the Capitol and beat the shit out of people? Or did you just think this is going to be just noise? I need to actually look this up. But I think it was like 14 days. It was in the past two weeks that we had Proud Boys. I forget the name of it, but literally Proud Boys and these alt-right groups came to D.C., got into violent clashes with Antifa. Um, That's not history. I mean, it is. That's two freaking weeks ago. Like, as shitty as... uh, the infotainment networks are, they're still playing B-roll of that, even though they move on to the next shiny object of death that they can latch onto. So it's, I call this the most predictable thing uh, ever. We also have heard from Capitol police officers. One, um, I tweeted it out yesterday on Saturday, Buzzfeed did a great story Two African-American officers were interviewed. That's where the one was called the N-word 15 times. Um, Getting flash police badges from across the nation because a bunch of officers were there. Um, Not still 100% verified, but I believe it 100%. Um, With the reporting we've seen um, around Breonna Taylor's death in Kentucky, like there's some bad people in the police force police forces across the nation. And like, there's also some amazing ones. My uncle was a cop in Chicago. I'm friends with most of the Capitol police officers. I'm a smoker. So they always see me going in and out. Um, But one of those officers said, um, he got a text at 9 a.m. from a buddy being like, yo, watch out. Uh, Proud Boys are saying on Instagram or maybe Reddit, um, but still publicly, but to each other, that we're storming the Capitol today. That's where I'm shocked that the people at the top, the top brass missed that <clears throat> because I was listening as I got there to the Capitol around 11 a.m. or a little later, yeah, maybe around noonish, because I wanted to get senders before they started at one when they walked over to the House side. Um, but Trump was giving his speech. And so there was a screen set up. Uh, outside of one of the Senate office buildings. And I, I'm a reporter. I'm curious. So I walk over there. Um, 
listening to it, watching the crowd, take some pictures. Then I go into the Capitol, get through security, you know, have my earbuds in, listening to C-SPAN, listening to the president's speech. So then when I'm actually interviewing senators, um, I'm telling them what the president's saying in my ear in real time. And I'm like, you know, he's calling for them to come here to the Capitol. Uh, Senator Chris Murphy of Connecticut, he told me uh, an hour before this happened, you know, um, he predicted it. It was straight prophetic, except he's not a prophet. He has eyes. Like Chris Murphy's a good dude or like a nice dude. He's not a genius. He's not smart. Like he's a young dude who was elected to the Senate because it's Connecticut and dot, dot, dot. He saw it. <clears throat> then once we were over on the House side, uh, underpaid, like minimum wage uh, staffer, you know, like a cook for the Capitol, uh, you know, never went to college. He, and I have this quote in my piece, he like lights them up. Like, oh, they were surprised. He's like, man, literally everyone knew this except for people who like drank the Trump Kool-Aid and whether that Kool-Aid comes from Fox or OAN or Breitbart, um, it's dangerous Kool-Aid. And like, I get Trump's power and his charisma with within the Republican party. Um, he's co-opted it. And like, that's where I'm waiting to see, because yeah, the head of the Capitol Police and the Sergeant at Arms in the House and the Senate—they've all been forced to resign. Um, but that's my question: like, did those people were they lulled into a sense of comfort? Because I know most Capitol Police are Trump supporters. Cool, the Trump supporters, but they also are sane and they love America. <laughs> so when they were attacked <clears throat> in the name of Trump in the name of Trumpism, it, um, it really changed things. I think changed their perspective. Um, but yeah, for the people who maybe said, Oh, it's going to be fine. They're just going to come here and yell. They had blinders on and people have been warning about those blinders for four years. Um, and yeah, sadly, People like me were proved right. It's not even about being proved right, but that's what's so sad. Cool, I was fucking right. Well, I don't want to be right. I'd rather not have gone through that and not had all those other people gone through that. It's just sick. Like literally, we're now the laughing stock globally. We kind of were before, <clears throat> but like, there's nothing more banana republic. And the president sending his people to take over the first chamber, like in the constitution, the white house, the thing we all look at, fuck that. Right. The president, that's just like a figurehead. Congress, they are the first branch of government and Republicans and Democrats have neutered that branch uh, in the past few decades. Um, and that was on full display. It's a shame on all of us. Before we continue with Two Writers Thing and Yang, a quick word from our sponsor. 
Hey, this is Jeff Perlman. I'm here with my son, Emmett, who's super excited for January 20th. I need this nightmare to end. I understand. I'm just tired of what's happening these past years. I'm stressed. I'm exhausted. I'm fed up. Joe Biden. Joe Biden? Oh, that's fine. But I'm talking about 503-sports.com's new lineup of throwback jerseys and hats coming to the website on January 20th. There's also a new administration. That's nice, too. I wrote a book several years ago about an old football league called the USFL, and Donald Trump owned a team in the USFL. And he was a con man, and he ruined the league, and he did it on purpose. And and I'm from New York, and I've seen Donald Trump up close for years, and he's a con man, and I I wouldn't trust him to babysit my kids or buy a watch from him. As a liberal Democrat from New York City, <laughs> he just co-opted the weakest party that was around. How do you explain people? Um, I don't get it. Like, I don't get all these people, the Proud Boys and QAnon. I get their existence. I don't get them seeing him and thinking he is. I mean, the guy has lied repeatedly about 9-11, about being a hero 9-11. He has lied repeatedly about yeah. a million different things. He five deferments for bone spurs on and on and on and on and on. How do you explain it? I actually still don't really get it. Well, I would put it this way. At one level, he's an enabler. Um, But for two, so yeah, as much as I say Donald Trump, liberal Democrat from New York City, got to power through co-opting the weakest party that was around. Um, So he obliterated every Republican. The Bush name, Rubio, the up and coming star, just dot, 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 go down the list. Just took them all out. Um, but again, like, I don't think he's a neo-Nazi or KKK, but he's an egomaniacal fuck. So when David Duke, former head of the Klan, when he praises him, Trump doesn't disavow it. He's just like, oh, someone likes me. And it's like, that's where Republicans needed to stand up uh, after Charlottesville, where that poor young lady was killed by that Nazi fuck. Uh, you know, like there were so many moments for people to stand up to this and like really stand up, not just like, oh, Ben Sass or Romney, like, oh, one tweet here, one tweet here, and then nothing in action. Um, I think Trump. So I actually have my students at Johns Hopkins, their master's program in government and public policy. Um, I have them read The Prince by Machiavelli and Trump, The Art of the Deal, which technically he didn't write, but whatever. (laughs) It's his thoughts. Um, But I have them compare the two. And whether my students are Republicans or Democrats, they all leave with just eyes wide open. Like Trump's not an idiot. He's not a nitwit. But in this instance, as much as he co-opted the Republican Party, these bad elements who were never in the Republican Party, you know, they might have had conservative tinges or whatever, but, you know, they'd never be progressive. So, like, they're homeless until Trump because they Trump Trump, you know, like they co-opted him the way he co-opted the party. And literally knowing that he'd rather be praised by Putin by Kim Jong-un, by any psychotic leader across the globe. He'd rather have that than to like work with Pelosi on most anything. He literally, the con man was conned and we're all the worse off for it. Do you think he believes um, he won the election? 
That's a long pause. Radio silence is bad. I don't know, man. I don't think he thinks he's capable of losing. And I'll put the blame at the media's feet. Um, and I always tell my students, don't use the media. It's meaningless. You know, if you got a problem with my reporting, that's Matt Laszlo, me and my editor. It's not the whole publication. There's We're not sitting around in smoke-filled rooms being like, oh, how are we going to cover this this week? No, we're competitors with other organization, with other organizations. When it comes to Trump, especially the New York uh, tabloids, oh, and then the lead up to the election, CNN, uh, et cetera. And like, there's debates on it and I won't get into it, but yeah, the press corps gave him too big of a platform. We didn't hold him to account. Like I had actually called because when it was the general election, um, he wasn't allowing against Hillary in 16. He wasn't allowing uh, Politico at one point, I think Buzzfeed at one point and like Washington post, he was banning their reporters from his rallies. I had asked the guardian to allow me who I was an op-ed contributor for. I'd asked them to take an op-ed from me calling for all media organizations to band together and boycott his rallies until he re- reinstated press passes for anyone left out. They didn't take the piece. I had asked um, some other organizations to call for that too. Media organizations, they said, no, just step too far. Well, guess what? Once he was elected, like once he was inaugurated, uh, it all changed. Now he's the president. So we have to talk about him. Like anything he says is news. So like my criticism starts inauguration 2017 and forward. Um, Once he's president, we had to cover him. The public literally, whether you're a Democrat or Republican, we've been fixated on him. I've heard from uh, Democrats in um, like the CNN green room that when Hillary would speak in 2016, everyone would kind of talk over her speeches. When Trump came on, even the liberals and progressives in the room would be quiet. So we allowed ourselves to be transfixed by this. And it's just us like chasing that shiny shit foil like a stupid puppy. And like, I love stupid puppies. So I take that back. You wrote a piece uh, for your site, thenewstation.com. Came out the day after. Uh, the attacks, uh, only proper response to Capitol riot, making politics boring again. And your lead was call me old fashioned, but I miss having a sky that's blue grass. that's green, even a globe that's well shaped like a globe, not a flat myth. I also miss having a Capitol, my office for the past 15 years, where my colleagues, lawmakers, staffers, workers, interns, and I feel safe. But now that Trump's reality TV presidency spilled over into reality, the symbolic heart of American democracy will, will forever remind hundreds of where we huddled, ducked, dodged, cried, barricaded, and ran on the worst uh, Trump day we'd ever witnessed. Uh, We've all sensed it heating up for years now, and it boiled over. The question facing all of us is, where do we, not your party, but us, the USA, go from here? If we truly want to take even just some of the Trumpian sensationalism out of politics, along with the mayhem that accompanies it, we all need to do our part. It's time we make politics boring again. Um, My question for you, I mean, you mentioned CNN as an example, and I'm I'm a very liberal guy. I hate the way CNN, as an example, has covered Trump. I agree with you 100 percent. Every shiny object they chase, everything is breaking news. Everything they they love Trump. They say they don't, but they actually love Trump. And I feel like 
in many ways, they're more guilty than a Fox News or even an own because those places, you know, what you're going to get yeah. CNN represented something at one point in time. And it was Turner and it was. Um, is this even is your goal to make, you know, or the the aspiration that politics becomes boring again? And we're just talking about politics and you agree or you disagree with someone. And is that possible anymore? Or is it is it putting smoke back in a, you know, in a genie's vase where it's just not going to happen? See, I'm torn on this. And I think this is where um, news organizations can do better. Like, I'll never forget. <clears throat> so in back of me, it's some of my books. So uh, I'm a congressional junkie. Um, but there's not many books written on Congress because, you know, we're Americans. We like that one thing to look at. So years ago, I started uh, reading a biography on every U.S. president. Because I was like, the best way for me to learn about Congress over time is to see their interactions through the eyes of the executive. Um, there was one time, this is like eight years ago or whatever, where it was Dave Weigel from the Washington Post and then Ben Jacobs, uh, formerly The Guardian. He was that reporter who was body slammed by that jackass in Montana who's now elected governor because, yeah, that's what we do with people who body slam reporters. But Weigel and Jacobs were like, oh, where are you at in that biography series? And there was this order, good friend of mine. She, I'll never forget it. She's hearing them talk about all these biographies I've read and like us having intellectual debates about them. And she kind of like quietly turns back to her laptop and says to herself, oh, I don't think I've ever read a biography. Not a political biography. Hey. She who now has like a million and a half and not literally she's got more followers than me on Twitter. Cause she's having to post like she's got so many people listening to her. And she's never read a biography. And it's like, that's where we need to instill um, a higher bar um, or instill a little intellectualism in our newsrooms. So, like, when it comes to Fox, CNN, and um, MSNBC, I call them all the infotainment networks. Like, guys, it's not news. And, like, yeah, I used to bum cigarettes to uh, Chris Hayes. So I'm friends with him. I'm friends with uh, some of their producers. We all, in the capital, Fox, CNN, NBC, they all get along. <laughs> Like that's, that's the myth. People buy into what they sell, but their reporting is, um, is the same. It's when it comes out of the anchor's mouths that it becomes infotainment. Um, and I think that is what we have to fight. Like I'm not paid to say this because I'm not paid by the regional reporters association. Though I am a board member, um, read your local papers. Um, those local reporters, um, they do great investigative work, but they know you, they know the community. Um, they know the politicians who are supposed to serve that community. Um, and a lot of the white noise that we all have allowed to, uh, become, uh, our worldview, you know, right and left. I also did an op-ed in the lead up to the election, <clears throat> about how these algorithms are just killing us. So I'm also a contributor at Wired Magazine. 
literally there's a new documentary or newish now um, on Netflix with all these former executives from, uh, you know, like the person who created the like button on Facebook. He's on there being like, I thought it was just like, hey, I like what you did. But now it's become like, oh, you know, like just a whole nother thing. Like, oh, I'm not getting likes. Like, we need that, like, right. insert needle here through likes. Um, but now with algorithms, one person in it, I forget who, but they're like, when you're sitting across from someone, um, you know, family member or friend, and it seems like they witness a completely different reality than you do, that's because they do. The algorithms are literally pulling us apart so that my family who watches Fox News um, and then my other family members who watch MSNBC, they're literally getting two different views of reality because that's going to be reflected in their Facebook, Twitter, YouTube recommendations. So, yeah, I blame Silicon Valley a lot. But guys, it's us. We're the consumers. Let's stop being dumb. Um, and like, let's see with open eyes. Like, no, the other political party is not your enemy. No, the press corps is not your enemy. Does the press corps fuck up? Yes, daily. <laughs> you know, does the other party fuck up? Yes, daily. But guess what? My dad and I just had a big, huge blow up conversation because um, he's a Fox News watcher. And he was like, oh, but BLM and all that stuff, they burned cities this summer. Well, fuck them for burning cities. Like when it happened, when a crime was committed, can we all just agree, like, let's not burn our cities. Right. And because the one party did that, let's not take over the Capitol. Right. Like, Obama, he did too many executive signing statements, which Trump ran on and got elected on. And then he went and did more or more out uh, or more aggressive ones. Like this political tit for tat is so stupid like we're running to the lowest common denominator somebody especially elected officials stand up and like be a statesman as the founders envisioned but it's like you guys are allowed you have these platforms use them for more than just getting reelected or if you're an anchor on the infotainment network then just getting more commons in your salary like come on just rise above it and like Everyone in the media, everyone in Washington, they know. Uh, like, it's just a farce. Like, right. we're helping them get reelected by, like, covering them, like, cursing us out. Well, you know, I said to my, um, I said yeah. to my wife the other day, it's like we've turned these people into comic book characters. Where, now, I think Trump is the exception, because I actually think Trump is a truly evil, vile human being. But... Mitt Romney is not an evil, vile human being. I just disagree with him a lot. Even McConnell, who I can't stand, he still go home, goes home and like has a milkshake and watches TV. Like he is a human being. And I feel like one thing we have done is we've turned them into cartoon characters. And oh, he's evil and she's awesome and he's the best and she's the worst. And it's like they all go to the bathroom. Oh, that's the funny thing. So, all right, let me do it this way to your conservative listeners. I always point out like AOC, sorry guys. If this was like the 80s, we wouldn't even know her name. She'd be one of 535 lawmakers. Like when they flip the C-SPAN cameras on March 23rd, 1979, a day that will live in infamy. When they did that, <clears throat> they changed an institution that was built 
to be internally focused, which some can argue and some do that that was wrong. Cause you know, like the Senate was completely closed to the public for its first bit in action, but the founders explicitly crafted uh, the house and the Senate to give lawmakers space to think. And again, at the time it was to be statesmen, but now instead of these lawmakers um, talking to their constituents and saying, Hey, you guys sent me here to Washington to study these issues. And I studied them and guess what? Like your reading of it and maybe even my initial reading of it was wrong. Here's what I found out. I'm going to vote this way because this is in your best interest. Right. No, in five years and two years and one year, you can punish me at the ballot box. Um, but I'm here for you. No, now you have Iowa Republicans, Maine Republicans, Florida Republicans thinking the same. Well, guess what? That's bad for Florida, Maine, and Iowa. <laughs> like those three states aren't Republican. They're kind of purplish. Like they're not represented by one party. Um, and I think that's where we all just like drank this hyperpartisan Kool-Aid, which is a myth, which is literally just helping reelect these people who are, I'd say in both parties are bad actors. So what time did you get home from the Capitol? And what did you do? Like, what did you do? You get home. Everything has happened. You've been through a war zone. You get home. What do you do? I think I got home at 8.30 or 9-ish. I was leaving. It's actually funny. I, uh, once I got out of the one house office building and like, oh, bro, I was like this live. I, uh, I tried, um, yeah, we were locked in there in this house office building for like four or five hours. I snuck down into a parking garage because I was like, I saw lawmakers going that way. And I'm like, all right, if a lawmaker is able to get out of here, I'm going to ask him, like, put me in your trunk. <laughs> Literally, I just wanted to get out of there. Like, put me in your trunk, uh, pull me out and then like drop me off anywhere. <clears throat> That's where I was at. So I like snuck a cigarette down there because I saw no movement. Um, then I uh, walked around all the house office buildings that had already been cleared by FBI and ATF. I randomly saw one window open on uh, the first floor of one. And I was like, huh, looked out, see a balcony there. I was like, well, I might jump off of this because <laughs> it was first floor. I did go out there for another smoke, explored it. An officer said, uh, well, cause the one side I could have shimmied down on a tree, um, but that was closer to the three officers. The other side was like a 30 foot jump because it was a voting garage. I'm like, I can't do that. I just literally was kind of starting to have a little bit of a panic attack, just like getting claustrophobic. Like I'm trapped in here. There's officers with looking like RoboCop with big guns. I'm just like, and COVID around. I'm like, I just need to get out. So anyway, that officer kicked me back inside. So finally probably because the curfew was about to happen. So it was a little before eight because they were trying to get the minimum wage workers to get the Metro that closed at eight curfew started at six. I don't think any of those poor workers were able to get a Metro. They weren't paid overtime for having to sit there six extra hours. Um, anyway, and they couldn't afford a cab. So like, I don't even know what those poor people did. Um, 
Yeah, so I think I probably got home around 8, 8.30. And literally, I probably poured myself a stiff drink, started going through some texts. I slowly remembered like, oh, what's in my pocket? And pulled the shank out. And I was like, that was probably an hour or so after it. And I was like, wow, that happened. Like, what is this wooden thing in my pocket? next to my press pass. And then I'm like, oh, wow, it's something I just like makeshift, makeshift grabbed to like defend myself. And then I like, oh, cause the Wi-Fi at the Capitol was spotty that day, obviously tens of thousands of people. And sometimes the secret service can shut it on or off like they do at inauguration. So I just look through, like make sure my tweets went out, but like, in there because I was sending out information. I wasn't consuming it. So then like, yeah, some tears happened because then I got to see like what friends and colleagues went through, what lawmakers went through. And it was just fucking fucked up. And then I didn't sleep that night, wrote uh, that op-ed the next day. Decided to like scrap uh, what I had um, and just like redid it real quick. So wrote that in like two hours before I wanted to get it out. Um, the next day talking to my girl, I was like, oh, I had this one thing, this one line in there. It wasn't in there. I look at the other document. It was seven pages. Oh my God. I had written, I know. And it's like, oh, <laughs> you know, it's just, yeah. Who even knows what was happening? But I guess I needed 10 hours, 12 hours to write those seven pages and then the eventual two or three. Um, so, yeah, maybe one day I'll go back over that crap. See, <laughs> It was really good. I just want to say this is how you end it. You wrote, um, policy is more than fixing potholes and naming post offices. In legislative writing, sometimes a comma is just a comma, but other times it's a $1 million comma. Policy is often mundane, but it's always important and rarely uh, transfixing. That's what was missing from the Capitol yesterday. It wasn't boring. Sure, it was a mere made-for-TV stunt orchestrated by Trump solely to stroke his own well-fed, though though endlessly starved ego. But his ratings went up because he knows how to enrapture an audience with terrifyingly captivating, if needless, drama. We all need to learn to resist giving oxygen to this or the next Trump-sized dumpster fire that we see flicking on our screens. It's fucking great, man. I wonder what's in those other seven pages. I still haven't gone back over that. Yeah. <laughs> I appreciate you doing this. I really do. I know it's a, it's still a very emotional, probably will be for years, but um, for me and my family, you were a very early source of what was going on. I appreciate you doing this a whole lot. I really do. Hey man, it's what we do. And it's not just me. It's the entire press corps. No, it's like, just you. <laughs> yes. Oh, fair, fair. I misspoke. I misspoke. I want to thank today's guest, Matt Laszlo, for joining me on Two Riders Sling and Yang. You can follow Matt on Twitter at Matt Laszlo and read his work at thenewstation.com. If you have a chance and enjoy Two Riders Sling and Yang, please give it a nice review. It means a lot. Music is by the Dazzling MC Whiteout. Thanks again for joining me, and remember, keep writing.